And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioshow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Tonight, it's Friday night. It's Friday, October 28th, 2016. I am your guest host, Rocco P. on the KIRP radio show. Once again, I thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to share his platform. Last Sunday's with Rocco P. has become last Friday nights of each month, now with Rocco P. Tonight, I'd like to do a show not just about the election. Uh, the election has consumed people's attention. Uh, that is by design to distract us so much. But I'd like to take uh, really a different angle. Uh, look, look in the area, the whole area of Russia, what's going on between Russia and the United States, and how it ties into the election. To give you some background on this, I'll talk a little bit more about NATO tonight, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. 
after World War II. And again, I won't go won't go through all that. But after World War II, the Soviet Union was seen as aggressive. Uh, the Soviet Union did not leave the countries that they had occupied. The United States also didn't, but not in the same way. Uh, all the bases that the, the the military bases that the United States used and or constructed during the war, essentially the U.S. continued to use. Uh, you saw that in the Far East with Japan. Uh, you saw that in Western Europe. You know, to this day, the United States has bases in Germany, and it's not like uh, you know the it's not like Germany, especially post Cold War doesn't have money to support their own military. But in any case, the uh, the impetus behind NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was to oppose what was seen as an aggressive and hostile Soviet Union with the Soviet satellite states and the Warsaw Pact. To fast forward, when the Soviet Union fell, the Soviet Union did fall. Uh, many things happened. Germany was reunited. Uh, the Soviet former Soviet uh, satellite states all became independent to a large degree, and NATO didn't go away. And what's happened since the fall of the Soviet Union is that the United States, via NATO, or you could say NATO really is, in one sense, uh, an extra-governmental international entity above the United States. NATO has surrounded, NATO countries have They've surrounded the former Soviet Union. They've surrounded, start, they have surrounded what is Russia. So, it you have to ask again, ask what fundamentally, what is the purpose, if the purpose of NATO was to contain Russia, world former the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union fell and they no longer had that influence, when the Warsaw Pact dissolved. And all those Soviet clients, former Soviet client states, were no longer there. Poland became independent. Germany then was reunited. Uh, when all that changed, why? What was the purpose for NATO to continue? <laughs> uh, y- you see this clearly in in the conflict in uh, in Ukraine. The U.S. spent. Uh, well over a billion dollars, I don't know if it was five billion dollars, to destabilize Ukraine to 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 install a pro-Western government. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, I could pull up the video I didn't tonight. I didn't. I'm not going in that direction tonight. I'm just looking at the current level, really, to a large degree, uh, the current state of affairs, what's going on between Russia and the U.S., particularly in light of the Syrian conflict. But it does involve Ukraine. The U.S. spent money uh, well over a billion dollars to destabilize the Ukrainian government to to enact a pro-Western government. And they had the so-called Ukrainian Revolution, which was illegal, again, completely fostered by the U.S. George Soros actually took credit to a large degree for that. So you have these international business interests, really using the United States and Western Europe to undermine um, the government of the Ukraine. So when the whole thing happened with, with Crimea uh, in Western Ukraine, the West repeatedly said 
that you know the Russians have invaded. You know the, the Russians violate Crimea. The Russians invade, and the reality is, the vote was already scheduled to take place for Crimea to to leave uh, Ukraine before that aggression, and then when the aggression occurred, you could largely see the Russians doing it uh, to defensively because they knew the government of Ukraine had been hijacked and the people there. This is the thing, you know, if you want to go down, if, if you want to play the democracy card as far as self-determination, um, the folks in Crimea really want nothing to do. They didn't want anything to do, as I just said, with the Ukrainian government before uh, that government had been overthrown by Western forces, largely financed and orchestrated by the U.S. government and uh, really quarterbacked by, by George Soros. So the Crimean people wanted out anyway, but then it was depicted in the West as this was Russian aggression. It was not. So we get into you know, the current state of affairs in Europe and how it's affecting U.S. and Russian relations. Think about, from a Russian perspective, think about what it was like during the Cold War. The line of demarcation, the dividing line, was in Germany. You had East Germany and West Germany. Germany was divided. Okay, the Berlin Wall came down. Now, that line of demarcation between East and West is right on Russia's doorstep at the Ukraine. And Russia has made it very clear if the Ukraine joins NATO, they would they would interpret that as an act of war. You say, well, you know, why? why would they do that? Because NATO has this insane doctrine than an attack upon one NATO country is an attack upon all of them. So, right now, think about it. If we look at NATO, okay, let me pull up this document so I don't misspeak about NATO. Uh, NATO began in 1949 after World War II. Twelve founding members of North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, the UK, the United Kingdom, and the US. Then other members joined. Greece and Turkey joined in 1952. Germany, West Germany joined at the time in 1955. Spain in 1982. And then look at the countries that joined after 1982. In 1999, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland joined former. Soviet client states. Then in 2004, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia, more former Soviet client states. And then in 2009, Albania, Albania and Croatia. I'm laughing because, again, if the purpose of NATO was purely a defensive posture, if it was purely defensive, a defensive, uh, alliance between those 12 countries that started in 1949, fearing uh, that the Soviet Union might have acted hostile in Europe. After the Soviet Union fell, first off, there's no use. NATO you know, loses, really has no reason to continue to exist. It's really it's quite that simple. But then secondly, when you look at it, you know, those those nations that have been added since 1999, the Czech Republic, Hungary and Poland, 99, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia, 2004, and Albania and Croatia, 2009. NATO is encircling 
Russia. <laughs> so this is why, from the Russian perspective, if Ukraine joins NATO with the NATO doctrine that an attack upon one NATO, NATO nation is an attack upon all of them, uh, Russia, Russia sees that as an act of war. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Imagine, again, if there was this alliance that Russia had, and they uh, they basically got Mexico to join and or Canada. Uh, how would the U.S. feel if there, was a, if there was a formal military alliance with Mexico and or Canada and Russia or Mexico and or Canada and China? And they just said, oh, there's, there's really... Yeah, you have nothing to be concerned about. We're just we're on your borders, and <laughs> any skirmish, then any attack, uh, any military conflict between the U.S. and Canada, the U.S. and Mexico, will then, of course, mean you're declaring war with the other members of the alliance, including Russia and or China. So uh, you have to see it from the Russian perspective. That and again, even throughout the Russian perspective, from you know, just pure common sense, you know, just logic, NATO had no reason to exist once this former Soviet Union fell. It really had none. And it's been extreme, extremely aggressive. And they want to expand those states. Now, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Georgia, Montenegro, and the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia are aspiring member, members of NATO. So think about it right now, right now, right, right here and now. Uh, because, because NATO... NATO's formal alliance means an attack upon one country is is an attack upon all the countries. Okay? So now, let's just chew on this for a moment. Right now, 2016, if, uh, if Croatia is attacked, is the U.S. willing to go to war for Croatia? Croatia? If Albania is attacked, is the U.S. going to go to war for Albania? Is it in the best interest yeah is the U- is the us is the us at risk if slovakia slovenia or romania are attacked it, <laughs> if, if bulgaria estonia latvia or lithuania are attacked is the us committed why should the us be committed to war see this is this is the insanity and yeah as as we're going to listen to some videos tonight you'll see you understand just a little bit of this history post world war 2 it's the us and yeah acting as part of this international alliance with nato it's the us that's been aggressive not russia not russia and once again just look on a map with those nations i discussed the nato is surrounding russia that's that's what's happening. NATO is surrounding Russia. So, yeah, if, if, if again, you go back to think about the United States, if the United States had a situation whereby Mexico and or Canada were part of an international alliance with Russia, uh, such that any military conflict with Canada and Mexico, uh, with Canada and Mexico between the U.S. would involve, would mean a declaration of war with Russia. Uh, the U.S. would be rather concerned <laughs> about that. <laughs> Yet this is this is precisely what's happening. In terms in terms of presidential election, uh, yeah, I said this before. I I am off the Trump train. I was on the Trump train uh, before the South Carolina primary. Yeah, Trump really, Trump Trump was I think great. Uh, I really do. He uh, 
a lot of people got have been on and are on the Trump train because you could tell he's not scripted, even when he disagrees. He says with what he says, which with some people that'd be rather often. <laughs> uh, people still find it refreshing. You have someone who's up there who's actually speaking his mind, where everything isn't calculated, uh, predetermined, rehearsed, uh, <laughs> confirmed by by a committee. When Hillary Clinton speaks, you can tell it's as real as a three-hour bill. I mean, she's she's completely phony. Uh, and she is a criminal. I mean, she should be in jail. You look at the emails. You know, David Petraeus. David Petraeus was convicted uh and essentially, the emails he did he did share some classified information, but the emails weren't even sent. He was going into an account, and that he shared with his mistress, and yeah, you know, they were sharing information through emails that weren't sent. And that also raises the question too, as far as legality, how did the FBI get that? No one wants to say. But in any case, uh, all even if you thought Hillary Clinton was was moral, and she's not. Yeah, she's immoral. There's there's a long trail of dead bodies tied to the Clintons when you go back from Arkansas to the White House. If you remember Vince Foster, there's a long trail of dead bodies. And that has continued. But even if you thought Hillary was moral, and she's not, uh, even if you thought she hadn't broken the law and she should not be in jail, and she should, as far as the emails. And uh, all of the corruption with the Clinton Foundation is just astronomical. Pay to play, yes. People, there, there was... A, high level of organization between the Clinton Foundation and the State Department at the time where people people were making donations to the Clinton Foundation to get access to the US government via the State Department to get things done. But even if all that wasn't true, you look at Hillary and it's kinda of like what Matt Drudge said when he was on the Alex Jones show and that was uh this you you don't elect a brain in a glass jar to be president. And he was using humorous and crude language to discuss the fact that he didn't... You know, George is really interesting. He only gives interviews once every couple of years, but he didn't tip his hand completely. And what he was talking about is the fact that Hillary is a walking dead candidate. I mean, her health... Yeah, you've seen the videos. Yeah, she's ha- she's having seizures. Uh, she won't release her brain scan. Uh, Trump could have made that a bigger issue. I think he should have. Not that I'm on the Trump train anymore, but uh, he should have made that a bigger issue. I think he should have released. He should have released full medical records, including a, a recent MRI, and said he challenges her to. She's not physically competent to be president. And she's not. I mean, she's not. Uh, there's a video out this week where she was to go one small step. Someone helped her. I mean, she's she's walking dead. Yeah, she's the she's a walking dead person. So. All that aside, what I want to focus on is the U.S. and Russia, particularly in light of you know this theater, this uh, this uh, selection process of the U.S. president. I've said for I've said for a long time I think I think Trump will be in. We see factions in the world over fighting. Trump was not the first choice on the Republican side. The first choice was Rubio. Uh, they don't have absolute power, of course. Only only the sovereign Lord God of the universe does. But they wanted Rubio. That failed. Uh, yeah, they uh, they were taking Cruz. That failed, and it would appear, you know, Trump did. Uh, you know, Trump prevailed, or was it all was it all staged all along? I don't know. It appears not. 
Trump, again, lost all credibility with me, and I say all when he chose Pence, because Pence is a neocon. When Pence was in Congress, he supported endless wars, he supported open borders, you know, all the, co the core issues that attracted me and many others to Trump. Yeah, he does not support. And he's proven himself to be a fraud, professing Christian, professing evangelical. He had, he had a, there was a law in, uh, in Indiana that prohibited you know, this transgender perversity in the bathrooms. And uh, he did a 180. He got pressure and he caved. So to me, Pence represents everything that's wrong about U.S. politics on the Republican side. On the Republican side. So Trump if he's real, was incredibly arrogant to choose a man like that. I've said that before on the show. But yeah, I mean, I'm, all, I'm off the Trump train. I'm not, I'm not here tonight to, uh, to get your vote for Trump. If you are, that's fine. Just uh, don't, uh, do not, uh, do not excoriate me. Do not, do not demean me for not, uh, for casting a protest vote. So I'm not, not voting for Trump, and I'm obviously not voting for a brain in a jar. I'm not doing that. But the rhetoric has really heated up. If you follow during the campaign, there's been talk that when when uh, a set of emails were were released and other information uh, from uh, tied to the Democratic National Committee uh, that resulted in DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman uh, getting fired. When that happened, yeah, they started the rumors. Well, it was Russia. You know, Russia's behind this. You know, Russia wants Trump, and it really is silly. But some people believe it. Uh, yeah, Trump has said certain positive things about Putin, as would I. I mean, Putin's a nationalist, and that that's not a bad thing to care about your country, particularly more than uh, internationalism or globalism. Yeah, so, so Trump has beat that drum to his credit. But this whole idea that everything has been leaked, and it's been more than one source. There's this, there's this goose for two guy, and that's really suspect. I mean, he's using a word plus press platform they can't get him but then you have far more yeah the stuff that's far far more damaging coming out via wikileaks which probably has you know a variety of people around the world that uh were able to hack into podesta's emails uh podesta working with hillary and more are coming but the first video i want to play just talks about uh the the source of the emails that that's really not the issue. It's not the source of the emails that matter. It's are, is the content true? And thus far, everyone, everyone on the so-called Democratic side, including Hillary, who I affectionately refer to as Hillary, even Hillary has denied it. They just attempt to sidestep the issue and distract the American public by talking about where they came from. But the reality is, if they're real, <laughs> all this stuff. All these issues that are raised <laughs> are incredibly important and should be addressed. That's the first first video I'm going to play by Ben Swan. During the last presidential debate, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump sparred over who was behind the WikiLeaks release of Clinton campaign documents. Trump says no one really knows. Clinton says 17 government agencies say it's the Russians. Tonight, why who was behind the hacks doesn't really matter as much as whether or not the information is true. This is a reality check you won't see anywhere else. She right, has no idea whether it's Russia, China, it's, or anybody else. I am not Hillary, you 17, have no idea. 17 intelligence. Do you doubt 17 our, our military has and no civilian idea. agencies? Well, yeah, he'd rather it. believe. Well, that was Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump arguing over whether or not 
17 federal agencies have agreed that high-ranking Russian officials are behind the hacking of Clinton campaign manager John Podesta's emails. The agencies that Clinton was citing there include the State Department, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the CIA. For his part, Donald Trump says that those agencies don't really know for sure. Our country has no idea. Well, now, let's set aside the fact that many of those agencies, including the NIE, the CIA, the State Department, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, all also said that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction when it did not. But let's say that this time they are all correct. So what? Because the issue is not who is leaking the information from the Clinton campaign chairman. It's whether or not the information being released is true. So far, WikiLeaks has released over 26,000 emails from John Podesta. Just to name a few, a number of emails indicate the Clinton Foundation and State Department pay-to-play schemes. For instance, an email from Clinton aide Huma Abedin to Podesta in January of 2015 details how Moroccan authorities donated $12 million to the Clinton Foundation's Clinton Global Initiative to get access to Secretary of State Clinton. There are also numerous emails that demonstrate collusion between major media organizations and the Clinton campaign. Brand new WikiLeaks emails show that at least 65 mainstream reporters were closely working with the Clinton campaign this election year. They were invited to top elitist dinners with Hillary Clinton, campaign chairman John Podesta, or the chief campaign strategist Joel Benenson. Among those journalists, Politico's White House correspondent and senior staff writer Glenn Thrush, who actually allowed his article to be proofed and edited by Podesta prior to publishing. To Podesta, he wrote, quote, Because I have become a hack, I will send you the whole section that pertains to you. Please don't share or tell anyone I did this. Podesta also referred to Bernie Sanders as a doofus. And separately, the campaign planned and succeeded to fool Bernie Sanders and his, quote, self-righteous ideologue supporters at the convention. Podesta and campaign staff planned to throw Sanders a bone at the convention, they said, by falsely vowing to curb the superdelegate system. This was done to make Sanders and his supporters, quote, think they won something. And, of course, the emails regarding those deleted Clinton emails. Clinton staffers discussed which of Hillary Clinton's emails to release and which to delete. So what you need to know is that there has been so much discussion about the Russians trying to influence the election. But what we're not talking about is whether or not the emails are true. If they are, then who cares where they come from? Who cares why? Because if the accusation is that the Russians are trying to influence this election by telling the truth, then what does that tell us about how American media is trying to influence the election? That's Reality Check. Let's talk about it on Twitter. During the... That's uh, that's Ben Swan, and uh, he he does amazing work. Uh, I believe he's down at an affiliate now of uh, CBS in uh, in Atlanta. He had been at Fox affiliate when he got a national reputation in Ohio. But that's amazing. Think about that if you park in that that truth for a moment. Uh, if the U.S. well, I mean, so the, the U.S. Uh, if uh, if the Democrats <laughs> if the Democrats are saying uh, all the revelations have have to be discounted, even if they're true, because Russia's trying to influence the election with the truth, then what does that tell you about how they view truth? <laughs> I mean, and morality. It's it's just unbelievable, as he touched on. Yeah, the level the level of duplicity the report is actually working. With Killary, it's just it's it really is a mind blowing thing. Uh, I'm gonna play uh, I'm gonna play a video.
It's a video that Alex Jones had put together, compilation stuff, Hillary said, particularly from last debate. And we'll see just where this is going. Uh, if you know my point of view is that, you know, the general, the two-party system is, uh, it's heads I win, tells you lose as far as the American people. Uh, I think there are some differences this time with Trump, but again, Trump, Trump obviously can't be trusted having chosen Pence. The point is, the U.S. is pushing this. The U.S. really, uh, controlled by the internet, you know, these international interests are pushing provocation and war with Russia. It's very, very evident. It hasn't been talked about in the Missy election, but they, they touched on it a little bit. That's I'm going to play a video, videos, uh, the Hillary comp- compilation of uh, statements Hillary had made. I did not mention again for those who are listening who may want to call that number is 619-638-8559, 639-638-8559, talking about Trump, Hillary, and Russia. Let me play this video. It's just over two minutes. The bottom line on nuclear weapons is that when the president gives the order, it must be followed. There's about four minutes between the order being given and the people responsible for launching nuclear weapons to do so. As president, I will make it clear, the United States will treat cyber attacks just like any other attack. We will be ready with serious political, economic, and military responses. They are voting for peace on planet Earth if they vote for Trump. But if they vote for Hillary, it's war. We came, we saw, (laughs) we died. (laughs) With her, you'll end up in World War III. I want the Iranians to know that if I'm the president, we will attack Iran. Right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia. The U.S. military has just raised the threat level to DEFCON 2. Right, in that video, I think, you have you have the statement with Hillary on the debate about, you know, the president, you know, we'll have four minutes. You know, people talked about that. You know, thanks for, thanks for letting the world know the U.S. response time, if that's true. But the amazing quote there was the second one when she was saying, she basically said, uh, the U.S., if she's president, she would see a cyber attack by Russia. She would have the op- she believes you'd be able- the U.S. would have the option of responding militarily to a cyber attack, and that's uh, that's a new level of insanity. I mean, even for her. I mean, even for her, who said you know about uh, about Gaddafi. Yeah, we came, we saw, he died. She thought that was funny, and that's again a whole nother level of illegality and insanity that really was not, I think, sufficiently exploited by Trump during the campaign, that under Hillary Clinton, it wasn't just that the Secretary of State died in Benghazi, it's that U.S. policy under her and Obama, or Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro. Yes, he grew up as Barry Satoro in Indonesia. Uh, Then he got reinvented as Barack Hussein Obama later. That was part of the CIA plan. But uh, in any case... Really, Trump didn't really talk about the fact that let's look. He 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 did early on. He he did early on that U.S. policy in Libya was to get rid of Gaddafi and put in Al Qaeda. Really, ISIS. Yeah, that's the newest new new.
the newly marketed version of Al Qaeda or Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda is ISIS. So this has been the U.S. policy. You destabilize the country and make sure people get in power who are ten times worse. It's what really the U.S. helped do in uh, in Egypt, and Egypt had pushed back as they're trying to do now in Syria. Going to take a break now, and we'll talk about some recent incidents between the U.S. and Russia in that proxy war in Syria. We'll talk about what a proxy war is, how Syria is a really a classic example of what a proxy war is, and how the tensions there have been ratcheted up as uh, all, by all accounts, it would say, from, from my opinion, the U.S. is provoking, actively provoking, hostilities with Russia. And it does seem insane, but these are the people that are in power, that they would want war. They could even have a nuclear element to it, that they would do that. But these are not rational people, uh, to use a spiritual word. These are people who are very much demonic, (laughs) those who would want war uh, for really, for no reason, of course, that would help the people. And the U.S. again, the U.S. populace has, I think, really gotten weary. I think they're on to the fact that war is not humanitarian. When they see what's happening in Afghanistan, when they see what's happening in Iraq, it doesn't uh, does not help the people. But going to take a break now. Again, if anyone would want to call in, I do not want to uh, do want to. I, I don't want to discourage anyone if they are listening on a Friday night, 619-638-8559. A lot more to discuss about Trump, Hillary, and Russia. You're listening to the KIRP radio show. KIRP radio! How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism. Nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow-point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize. Government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read, 
the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. You're listening to KRP Radio Show. Last Fridays with Rocco P. The war, the war in Syria has been a classic proxy war between the U.S. and Russia. You could argue it didn't start out like that. That was just part of the, uh, it was just part of the agenda to uh, to destabilize the uh, the Assad regime. And that's been the U.S. pattern to go into these nations in the Middle East. And it's, it's been part of the plan. You go back to the project for a new American century. If you want to use an internet search, use DuckDuckGo.com, DuckDuckGo.com, or StarPage.com. Look up a uh, project for a new American century, PNAC, uh, rebuilding, was it rebuilding America's defenses. But that PNAC, docu- PNAC document written before uh, 9-11 the U.S. plan long-term was to destabilize and then uh, have regime change in a number of nations. So when that's done, it's always worse for the people because the U.S. intentionally, again, this is where uh, this is where you can't be misled, the U.S. intentionally uses forces. The U.S. created al-Qaeda, and I would argue you know, al-Qaeda has always been under the control of uh, U.S. and Western and uh, Western intelligence always. That's why I would say it's really Al Qaeda, whether it's Al Qaeda or ISIS. It's been under the control of the West, and here really exploited this, really really exposed this for the world to see, because you had you have uh, the, the Assad regime, and it it was very is a very stable government. Uh, he respected religious minorities. He was a secular Muslim. Uh, Different, but uh, somewhat related to what it was like in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein had a secular government. He was secular Muslim, and uh, <laughs> there was really a lot of great things in Iraq. Uh, yes, you know, he, he had he had killed certain you know certain political dissidents. People called the butcher of Baghdad, but in terms of the totality of the everyday life for the majority of people in Iraq. The vast majority would would take Iraq before U.S. war than after, when the infrastructure was destroyed, when 25% of the population became refugees, when uh, after the U.S. was involved, they set up yes, they did set up, uh, they made an Islamic republic. It got worse for the minority Christians that were there. So the whole Syrian conflict has really been exposed, has really exposed the the inherent hypocrisy, duplicity, and fraudulent nature. Of you know building democracy, the U.S. continues to try and promote U.S. government continues to try and promote the absurd notion that by the U.S. destroying uh, the Assad regime, things would be better for the people. It's, it's humane, and of course the so-called Syrian refugees. It's uh, it's all ISIS. I mean, that's, that's who the U.S. has supported. One of the funniest things Ted Cruz ever said uh, was that, you know, the U.S. shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be uh, Al-Qaeda's Air Force. <laughs> and, yeah, that has happened as the U.S. has worked 
with that they try and sell the line of this modern Syrian opposition doesn't exist when you know, it's all radical Muslims. You have people who you know, eat people's hearts and you know, behead people and things like that. But it would be much better if they controlled Syria for the people of Syria than Bashar al-Assad. It would be, 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 be much better, absolutely better. So Russia was allied with Syria and they got involved uh, more closely. And it was very interesting because that further exposed the illusion that the U.S. was fighting ISIS when the U.S. has been supporting ISIS all along. As I said before, you can make a very good argument that, uh, I mean, we know for a fact that Western intelligence created al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda really has been remarketed as ISIS. You, you can make a very good argument. It's always been under the control of the West. Uh, and that would perfectly explain explain why the U.S. would cooperate and want ISIS to overthrow Assad. That's what they want. So, when Russia got involved, you, you might remember, uh, Russia very quickly, after Ru some Russian ground forces were involved, and particularly the Russian Air Force, got involved in Syria, they quickly identified these uh, tanker trucks that were taking oil from Iraq, ISIS trucks, and you know, going through NATO ally Turkey, taking it to port. Russia identified them and just destroyed them pretty quickly. And that was a great thing because that not only uh, that disrupted their flow of money. And of course the U.S. knew where they were all the time. When the U.S. was caught, you know, when the U.S. then, U.S. Uh, military and government had to answer for why that was never done, it was a completely bogus response and excuse as well. You know, the U.S. didn't want collateral damage and they didn't want any civilians to die. It's just like you have pinpoint, you have pinpoint bombs on trucks, and they care about civilians. When did the U.S. care about civilians? Anyhow, you know, look at Obama, you know, expanding the drone program, you know, killing innocents in, uh, yeah, in uh, Pakistan and other countries. So no, no, wasn't wasn't the humanitarian reason why the U.S. didn't do do that. So this is this from. Uh, Today, Russian U.S. jets had near miss over Syria, U.S. Russian officials. I'll quote from this piece. Aboard a U.S. military aircraft, uh, a Russian fighter crew dangerously close to a U.S. warplane over eastern Syria, U.S. defense officials said Friday, highlighting the risk of serious mishap in the increasingly crowded airspace. The near miss occurred late on October 17th when, when a Russian jet that was escorting a larger spy plane maneuvered in the vicinity of an American warplane. U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Jeff Harrington said the Russian jet came to inside of half a mile he had. Now, if that's true, think about the speeds that they're flying. That's like, you know, two people being, what, you know, two inches apart from one another. Another U.S. military official speaking on condition of anonymity said the American pilot could feel the turbulence produced by the Russian jet's engines. It was close enough that you could feel the jet wash of the plane passing by, the official said. It appeared the Russian pilot had simply not seen the U.S. jet as it was dark and the planes were flying without lights. I would attribute to not having necessary situation winners given all those platforms operating together, Harrington, Harrington said. The incident raises serious questions about the extent to which pilots were able to track the complex airspace they operate in. The U.S.-led coalition has set up a hotline with Russian counterparts so that different militaries can discuss the approximate locations emissions of planes and avoid operating the same space at the same time. In this case, the American pilot tried unsuccessfully to reach the Russian 
jet via an emergency radio channel. The next day, U.S. officers asked the hotline, uh, used the hotline to ask Rush what happened. They said the pilot didn't see an American plane, the official said. Yes, it's possible. I mean, there's that, that could be the case. The point is, imagine, you know, once, once a U.S. jet and a Russian jet, if they collide, or if one shoots down the other, worse yet, uh, they're a lot closer to war. This idea of, of a no-fly zone, you know, they've talked about in Congress repeatedly, and of course that's an act of war. In other words, if the U.S. used their air power over Syria to stop any other aircraft that they didn't want from being in the area, then that would be an act of war, particularly since now Russia is, is involved in the theater. So this came up again. Uh, have this video here with uh, senators, and it was uh, it's allegedly about a C-SPAN video. Military operations against ISIS, and it's really military operations against uh, against the Assad regime. That's what it's about against Syria. But this is Senator Roger Wicker, and I'm trying to see this was this was published on October 6th, so a few weeks back. Senator said. Assad has lost his legitimacy and cannot be a part of the long-term future of Syria. Is that statement still operative? Uh, I, I, I think it is. I, I, I'll just give a general answer to your, your, your general question. You're right, it was discussed uh, uh, earlier. And uh, uh, e e even though we are going to be um, confident militarily successful against ISIL, Insofar as the Syrian civil war is concerned, uh, the violence can't end there until there's a political transition from Assad to a government that is decent and that can govern the Syrian people and put that tragically broken country uh, back together. That doesn't look in sight now. It is what we talked earlier about Secretary Kerry's trying to... Okay. Give some, I'm going to get back to the video to tell you his talking. Ashton Carter, U.S. Defense Secretary. Does anyone on the face of the world, on the face of the planet, believe that the U.S. would have humane reason for deposing Assad when not only ISIS would take power when you look at the horrific tragedy that occurred in Libya? Again, Hillary saying, I came, I saw, he died. So... The U.S., again, it was easier to push this idea of humanitarian war in the past, but now, you know, the emperor has no clothes, so to speak. It's completely absurd. Yet, you still have people like John McCain, he'll, you'll hear him in the video at the end, still trying to push this idea that it's moral. <laughs> it's a moral thing to do to suppose Assad because, allegedly, the U.S. cares about the people. This is this is insane. These are the people in power in both parties. This is insanity. Uh, uh, make arrangements to uh, uh, promote, uh, but it is that's necessary uh, for the uh, uh, resolution of what is, as you say, a very tragic situation. Let me see if the chairman wants to add anything. Well, let, let me just ask this, if, if you don't mind, Secretary Carter. Um, it it would help if the barrel bombing ended. And I spoke to um, a Democratic colleague of mine today, 
uh, I've been calling for a, a no-fly zone to stop the barrel bombing, and I asked this, this colleague of mine on the other side of the aisle if he would support that, and he said, yes. I'm, he said, I want to call it something else rather than a no-fly zone, but, it, but, but that this particular uh, senator, it, it, it is a fact that this particular senator has now changed his position and would like us to take action to, present, to prevent the barrel bombing. What is your position uh, about that, and wouldn't it help if we took decisive action and, and ended this carnage? Uh, it, 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 I don't know the specific proposal that which you're discussing with your uh, colleague. Uh, make one comment and then see if the chairman wants to add. I anything. think he was talking about a no-fly zone, well, but, but okay. described in more palatable I, terms. It's, it, there are a number of different proposals have been made, but I, the one I, that I think the focus on right now uh, is the one Secretary Kerry's trying to promote, namely a no-fly zone for the Russians and the Syrians who are attacking the Syrian people. If they're talking about a no-fly zone for American aircraft fighting ISIL, uh, needless to say, um, that that's not going to get any enthusiasm and uh, get strong opposition from me. About but, it, but I uh, think that's what is sec – but, but uh, yeah, it's not called that, but Secretary Kerry's trying to get a stand-down of the Syrian and Russian uh, Air Force. And if he's successful, that would be a good thing. You know, ask the chairman if he has anything to add. Senator, the only thing I'd say is, you know, as the situation on the ground changes, I think I have a responsibility, we, the Joint Force, has a responsibility to make sure the president... Okay. The person speaking now is General Joseph Dunford. He's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And has the full range of options. We have discussed that issue in the past under certain conditions. The conditions on the ground will change, and we'll continue to look at those options and make sure they're available to the president. What about the option of controlling the airspace so that, that barrel bombs cannot be dropped? Well, all, all the options. Uh, they, what do you think of that option, sir? Uh, right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia. That's a pretty fundamental decision that certainly I'm not going to make. To impose a no-fly zone. Chairman, Chairman, could I for a second say just name? No, no, Senator Gillibrand. That's not, that's not what I said, Chairman. Go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I just think what, what Senator, Senator asked me was to control all of the airspace. No, what he asked was, should we have a no-fly zone so we can protect these people from being slaughtered? I, That's what he's talking I answer about. That first. That's what we're all talking about. So that would not require going to war full-scale, would it? Not necessarily, Senator. I, I, I'm sorry, but I tried to answer the first question first, and then I was responding to the second part of your question. But that, I did not mean to say that imposing a no-fly zone requires to go to war. That's not the question I was answering. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, that, that was Trader, Trader Senator John McCain trying to act moral, uh, trying to avoid the obvious. Uh, they don't want to call it a no-fly zone uh, because there's no, there's no support for that. And if they did it, of course, that is an act of war, as the general, as the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff said. McCain attempted to say, well, the question was, is do you think it would be right? 
<laughs> to stop the slaughter of people when the U.S. is behind the slaughter. There's, there's that great picture out there with McCain, with you know, some of the people with ISIS, you know, his buddies. You know, it's just and these are the people, uh, these are the people that get into power. Republicans and Democrats stay in power. The warmongers, those are the people that are there. But uh, I, I, I did love, I did love when Dunford just really said it like it is before McCain attempted to make it a moral question when he answered the simple question, what would happen if, uh, if a no-fly zone was enacted? Syria, what about the option of controlling the airspace so that, that barrel bombs cannot be dropped? Well, all the all options. Uh, what do you think of that option, sir? Uh, right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia. That's a pretty fundamental decision that certainly I'm not going to make. So there you have it. You know, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, spoke some truth on Capitol Hill with the Senate that uh, that's what would happen with, with no-fly zone. But again, this, this whole idea of morality that, that the U.S. taking down Assad is moral, it's to help the people. Uh, no one believes that. I don't even think McCain believes that. I mean, they're just, they're just all pathological liars and psychopaths. None of them really believe that. The U.S. has consistently been now in this, since the Soviet Union fell, the U.S. has been aggressive. NATO has been aggressive. Uh, right now, I, I'm going to quote a piece from uh, independent journalist John Vibes. This was posted on the freethoughtproject.com, the freethoughtproject.com. NATO, U.S., and U.K. assemble large troop buildup on Russian borders since Cold War. Quote, in the midst of deepening tensions between U.S. allies, NATO and Russia, NATO is playing a large military buildup along, along the Russian border since the Cold War. NATO called on allied governments this week to contribute whatever troops and equipment they can to the effort. According to Reuters, thousands of troops are expected to arrive in the coming days and weeks. It is reported that Italy, France, Denmark, and other European states are expected to join the NATO military divisions that will be led by the U.S. along Russian borders, along Russia's border. On Wednesday, Britain announced it is sending hundreds of soldiers and hardware to Russia's borders as part of a large military deployment. A total of 800 troops, drones, and tanks are moving to Estonia, yeah, at former Soviet client state, incidentally, now, uh, as part of the biggest military buildup of NATO troops on Russia's borders since the Cold War. In addition to the forces allocated for his specific operation, for this specific operation, NATO has an army over 40,000 ready to be called up to fight at any time. The U.S. military claims that this threatening was meant to act as a, quote, deterrent, end quote, to the Russian military, but this is obvious, obviously a move that will escalate tensions and push towards a possible Third World War. Quote, this is a credible deterrence, to provoke the conflict, but to prevent conflict, end quote. NATO Secretary General Jens Stolenberg said on Tuesday, ironically ignoring the fact that it is de facto provocation. Just imagine what would happen if Russian troops massed along Mexican border and told the U.S. that this move was to prevent conflict. <laughs> the so-called Iskanderim cruise missiles can hit targets across Poland and the Baltics, although NATO officials declined to say if Russia had moved during their nuclear warheads to Kaliningrad. The U.S. The U.S. and the United States envoy to NATO, Douglas Liu, told the reports that NATO and the U.S. military may consider Russia a threat 
if they had nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons within range of NATO's deployment. This statement is insane considering the, the fact that the U.S. military is the ones who are many miles from home on the border of someone else's land, someone else's lands. This deployment, if it becomes permanent in the presence, this, per, this quote, this deployment, if it becomes permanent, if the presence of nuclear weapons were confirmed, would be a change in Russia's security posture, Lute said. If anyone's a threat is NATO and the U.S. government. These military tensions are the result of an ongoing proxy war in Syria, in which Western powers are attempting to institute regime change in the country by funding violent rebel groups. Meanwhile, Russia has interest in keeping their allies in the Syrian government control, putting two superpowers at odds. Until now, Russia and the U.S. have been fighting through third parties just stay ahead during the previous Cold War, and the same type of situation is developing today. And again, it's not just right now the hot flashpoint is in Syria, but again, I go back to Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, Russia has stated repeatedly that if Ukraine joins NATO, they will, they will interpret that as an act of war. Uh, speaking of war, uh, this was an interesting, this was a very interesting uh, statement. This is a compilation of, uh, of statements from the same speech that U.S. Army Chief of Staff General Mark Miley made. And uh, if you could listen to this and not think this is really the U.S. military kicking sand in Russia's eyes, I, I don't know if you could interpret this. So, again, the U.S. tries to say they have the moral ground in Syria. They don't. Uh, the U.S. tries to say Russia's acting aggressively. They're not. And then this statement is made. This video was published on October 5th, again, earlier this month. I want to be clear to those who try to oppose the United States. I want to be clear to those who wish to do us harm. I want to be clear to those around the world who want to destroy our way of life and that of our allies and friends. The United States military, despite all our challenges, despite our op-tempo, despite everything we've been doing, will stop you and we will beat you harder than you've ever been beaten before. Make no mistake about that. Other countries, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea went to school on us. They closely watched how we fought in 91 and 03. They studied our doctrine, our tactics, our equipment, our organization, our training, and our leadership. And in turn, they revised their own doctrines, and they are rapidly modernizing the military today to avoid our strengths in hopes of defeating us at some point in the future. Recently, a senior Russian official, ambassador to the United Kingdom, Alexander Kardamenko, he said, quote, the established world order is undergoing a foundational shakeup with the Crimea, Ukraine, and Brexit. He went on to call for the dismantling of NATO and the European Union. And he said, quote, Russia can now fight a conventional war in Europe and win. Russia is the only country that will remain relevant forever. Any other country is dispensable, and that includes the United States. We are endgame now, end quote. We can now, and we will remain in the future, retain the capability to rapidly deploy, and, and we will destroy any enemy, anywhere, anytime. Additionally, the battlefield will be highly complex, almost certainly in dense urban areas, and against an elusive 
ambiguous enemy that combines terrorism and guerrilla warfare alongside conventional capabilities mixed with large civilian populations. So, who's the aggressor? Is it Russia? Or is it the United States? Is it the United States government and military? I, I think it's obvious. Uh, he, he quoted uh, the U.S. Army chair there, he, uh, General uh, General Mark Miley. He quoted that Russian official that talked about, you know, Brexit and uh, NATO should dissolve, the EU should dissolve. Uh, I completely agree with those statements. Uh, if you do believe in democracy, and uh, in the UK the people voted, there was there's a referendum. They said the, the UK should leave the European Union. And the UK never fully embraced the European Union, incidentally. They still kept the pound sterling, then they never adopted the euro, the European Currency Unit. But the point being, this, as I said before, the illusion is has unraveled massively the last few years, particularly under... Uh, Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro, particularly under his two administrations, that the U.S. is using military power in a humane fashion. Uh, that's that's an illusion. Uh, people, you know, people in the U.S. used to believe that. I think most don't now. Of course, people around the world, particularly those who've suffered massively at the hands of the, of the U.S. military, they, they've known that that's a lie. Uh, but to think about the fact that this is what the general throws out for a supposedly a sympathetic U.S. audience. It's like, okay, so the people the U.K. vote to get out of the European Union, and a Russian leader says that's good, so now it's not good. Uh, a Russian leader says the European Union should be dissolved, so that's not good. No, it should be dissolved, because if you care about nationalists, you care about what's good, What's good for France, uh, it's not the same as you know the European, uh, the European, the EU government in Brussels. But what's good for the EU is not what's good for Italy. What's good for the EU is not what's good for Spain, and so on and so forth. And then NATO, as I said early on in, in tonight's show, uh, NATO has no point to exist if NATO and it was constructed to basically curtail. They used the word then contained uh, what was an aggressive Soviet Union. Soviet Union's gone. Those client states are gone. Now they join NATO, and now NATO surrounds Russia. <laughs> this again, this is insane. This is insane. This is the policy embraced by both parties. And again, Trump has said has said some great things, but uh go back to why I'm off primarily off the Trump train. There are a number of reasons. Good old Mike Pence there. Current governor, former congressman Mike Pence, governor of Indiana. He wants to impose no-fly zone in Syria. And we heard what the other general said. The chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that would mean. I'm quoting from anotherdayintheempire.com, anotherdayintheempire.com. That's a great site run by Kurt Nimmo. And he, he writes, wait a minute, I thought Trump was the guy who would mend fences with Russia. If you can believe Camp Hillary, Trump is best buzzer with Vladimir Putin. He's a sucker for Russian aggression. Mike Pence put all that to rest during his debate with Tim Kaine. He had debate, he quotes. 
Pence, quote, the weak and feckless foreign policy of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama has awakened an aggression in Russia. Hillary Clinton's top priority when she became Secretary of State was the Russian reset. After the Russian reset, the Russians invaded Ukraine took over Crimea. I'll stop there. Of course, as I've already said, that's complete fiction. Uh, Crimea was going to leave, was going to leave, had voted to leave, to be autonomous, to basically leave, uh, to leave Ukraine and be part of Russia before that whole, that, that whole debacle. And again, uh, Pence, of course, isn't talking about, <laughs> yeah, the billions of dollars that the U.S. put in to, uh, to basically, to put in a pro-Western government in Ukraine and then to, to, uh, to help foment revolution. Soros did take credit for it. I'll get back. To, I'll get back. To Pence's quote: the, the, "The small and bullying leader of Russia is now dictating terms to the U.S. to the point where the U.S. of America, the greatest nation on earth, just withdraws from talk about a ceasefire, while Vladimir Putin puts a missile defense in Syria while he marshals the forces and begins. Look, we have to got we have to got to lean into this with strong, broad-shouldered American leadership that begins by rebuilding our military." And you look at the, the number of dollars goes to the U.S. military, and both parties, again, just always say, it's never enough. Just got to build more. I think the U.S. has about it's at least 160 military bases in the world. I think it's closer to 190. It's not enough. <laughs> and then, at the end of World War II, remember, they had the Department of War. And then they kept it going, but to create the illusion that it wasn't war anymore, they said, oh, we'll call it defense. <laughs> Pence sounds a lot to quote Nemo's article Pence sounds a lot like the neocons and the humanitarian interventionist the United States of America needs to begin to exercise strong leadership to protect the vulnerable citizens and over 100,000 children in Aleppo so uh, again yeah, Pence uh, uh, meet the new boss same as the old boss uh, if Trump is real and he has been pre-selected expect uh I uh, do expect a quick acting uh, cancer there. Looks like we got a caller. Hello. Are you... Good narrative you have there. Good commentary. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so what do you think there? What's going on? Well, you know, used to listen to McCain talk about arming. Listen at this. Moderate rebels. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And we know that the gun cash out of Libya, where it ended up, and you have to, excuse me, I was trying to have supper sure. at the same time. But you know, one key thing, <clears throat> if China could fast forward and perfect this Blue Seas Navy beyond the point where it is now, then I think you would have more of a balance. You know, if I hit you and I know that you're going to hit me back just as hard, I'm not going to hit you. I use alternative ways to try to get things done. And you put out there about uh, the way the situation is, what went on in the Ukraine with the overthrow of Yanatovich, what Russia did in Crimea. Well, that's where she docks her Black Sea fleet. She wasn't going to allow that to happen. I don't blame her. I've been watching this map since I was, since I say since 1970. <laughs> it was a centerfold in a newspaper, and it laid out NATO at that time, the Warsaw, 
attack. And it looked like all of the Western forces was headed toward where they're trying to go now, China and Russia. Hillary Clinton would have reckless statements talking about putting a missile ring, missile defense ring around China. And also having a no-fly zone over Syria would be tantamount to war against Russia. You're absolutely right. And a lot of this had to go on with the Bush administration, too. Because I used to remember hearing, I heard, I heard, heard somebody ask Bush about Africa. He said, well, Africa's on the back burner right now. Mm, that's interesting. If Africa's on the back burner, then what's on the front burner? Well, we've seen that. <laughs> so it's good to have commentary like yourself. Although I like to tell you, you're going to be like the Maytag man. <laughs> you're going to be all alone. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, you know, I, I think I think we're not alone. I mean, they want to create that. They want to create that illusion. And hey, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with uh, you know with everything Alex Jones said, especially since you know, he's still on the Trump train. But when you look at the popularity of Infowars and you look at the popularity of the Drudge Report and Breitbart, I mean, and of course, you know, there's you know, you know, Drudge is just the aggregator and all. But the reality is. Yeah, especially with these emails coming out showing yeah how how it's just in your face. They had all these reporters yeah letting Hillary's people edit uh, articles and stuff. I think we are winning over time. That's why they're probably going to come after the internet and shut down shows like this. Because I mean, uh, the people know they don't know they don't have the whole thing figured out, or we could get you know honest people elected at all levels of government in spite of in spite of the voting machines. But the people know. The narrative is false. Like I said, I I can't quote any polls, but yeah, the the U.S. the U.S. public, left, right, center, people do not believe this idea that a war is humane anymore. I just I just don't think they believe that. <laughs> well, you know, the people that's behind all this need to be brought to justice and done done dealt with because we name them all the time. Yeah. And if things got down to the nitty-gritty, they need to be hunted down like rabid animals that they are. Because they're the ones that's causing all this, this murder and mayhem well, and so on. Yeah. Well, we're, the Constitution, you know, we're living in, in you know, the shadow of the remnants of what was Constitutional Republic. But, yeah, I would never advocate violence against people. But the reality well, is I'm not we talking about have, violence. I'm talking yeah, about bringing yeah. them to justice. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we have those avenues. I mean, like I said, you know, Trump, Trump – Talks a good talk in some levels, even though yeah, I, I can't good conscience vote for someone who doesn't respect the Constitution's rule of law. But uh, yeah, he spoke clearly during, during what was the second debate. He said yeah, if uh, yeah he was President Hillary, Hillary would be prosecuted, and yeah, Congress could impeach her even though she's not in office. And of course, the Republicans are you know they're frauds. If they impeached her, you know, what would be the purpose? She's not off. She can never serve in any federal capacity. <laughs> so, yeah, there are avenues, yeah. but it's just a matter of getting people in. Who knows? I mean, I believe in I believe in the God of the Bible, and maybe if Hillary, a.k.a. the, you know, the glass brain in the jar does win, uh, maybe they will be very aggressive, and uh, then we will clean out Congress. I could see the midterm elections getting uh, wiping everybody out. I could see something like that happening. Maybe that's where it'll take. I don't know. Well, that's what you need, I tell you. And every time a pollster calls me, I tell him I'm voting for Hillary. <laughs> that way, 
<laughs> I heard what you said about Pence. <laughs> you know, I, no, I like uh, Donald. I've been with him since day one, and I'm going to stay with him. But you know that's, what? That's if, if every news, every news article that's read, printed, is always talking about this man. I mean, he yeah. can't even rest. Everything it begins with him, and it is just. And he's only spent what fifty million dollars, and he's getting this much play. It's just remarkable. If yeah. he win, it would be it would be like if the Card if the Chicago Cubs win the World Series and and Trumps wins the presidential election. I have seen it all. Yes. But like I said, I mean, I I'd want to be optimistic, but yeah, with uh, yeah, they can't. That they kind of post World War Two, they transformed the office of the presidency into a, into a dictatorship, and I think. It's sobering to think, you know, Kennedy was the last real president. When I say real, he was the last person that opposed, you know, the 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 people, the men behind the curtain, the financialists, the the globalists, yeah. and he ended up dead. And it is something I don't agree with everything Jesse Ventura says by by a long shot. But one of the things that woke him up to the deep to the real political reality was when you looked at Kennedy assassination. You know, it was a conspiracy. You know, the you know, forget about you know the uh, forget about the Warren Commission. You look at at the uh, the congressional committee that they had the church committee hearings, U.S. Congress a few years after the fact you know, mm-hmm. in the 70s concluded, in all probability, it was conspiracy and there was two shooters. So once you come to that point, you realize, hey, whoever these people are, I mean, if they can assassinate the president of the United States, what can't they get away with? So to me, if Trump is real and they do select him to win, it's either one of two things. If he hasn't been owned from the beginning, uh, which it doesn't seem likely, but they're either gonna they're either gonna co-opt them or they'll get rid of him. I mean, you look at Reagan. I mean, Reagan, <laughs> how many days was in office before Reagan was shot? I mean, he he he, well, he did what they wanted. Yeah, he 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 went with George Bush, you know, Mr. CIA for his vice president, and they still tried to kill him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you, you got a you got a point there, and. After all you said, you still have made no mention of nine eleven. So it just goes to show you. <laughs> well, I said in the past, maybe if you heard other shows, yes, nine eleven was. I mean, governments governments are able to do things. I love the quote by Rahm Emanuel. Though others are said throughout history, he said best. Yeah, Rahm Emanuel, former uh, former Goldman Sachs executive, former uh, chairman, former uh, state. Uh, Chief of Staff for uh, Barack Hussein Obama, aka Barry Satoro, says, uh, "Don't let, never let a good crisis go to waste." <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you're right. You did nah, absolutely. Nine Eleven was an inside job. I mean, there's no I've done whole mm-hmm. shows on it. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. Jet fuel does not melt steel. But you look at the world. No. What's happened since then? Where have they done? Well, I've spent a lifetime a, a domestic bi- police state. I spent a lifetime for, putting buildings up like that, so I know better. But you know the thing is, is that and and I see what the Nobel Peace uh, Committee is asking. Just about done everything but ask Obama to give back that that, that medal and that million dollars. <laughs> Which that there. But yeah, man, look, I'm gonna let you get back to your program. Thanks. Yeah, I'm gonna let you get back to your program and. Uh, Thanks. I'll wrap it up. Uh, keep up the good work. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So. 
Russia, Russia's had this, Russia's had this drill. Uh, this is from this is from the Daily Mail. Russia claims nuclear war could be imminent as it evacuates 40 million people in a drill and warns that schizophrenics from America could attack. So, there's detailed plans, incidentally, Russia has has as far as civil defense. They say they could put uh, they have underground shelters that could that could uh, house 12 million people. This is you know what Russia has done. They continue to do. You, know, you, you think about why? Why would they conduct a drill? Okay, to quote from to quote from the Daily Mail piece: Russia is evacuating more than 40 million people in drills to prepare for nuclear war. After Putin's Ministry of Defense warned of schizophrenia from America, sharpening atomic weapons from Moscow, citizens have been told the war with the West could be imminent. Kremlin, Kremlin officials have said underground shelters have been built to house 12 million people. The mass evacuation drill started yesterday. This this uh, piece was posted was printed on uh, posted on October 6th. It started then and it lasted three days. So think about that. A ministry from that piece, a ministry of the Russian Federation for Civil Defense Emergencies and Elimination of Consequences of Natural Disasters spokesman said, quote, the three the three stage four day drill involves more than forty million people, more than two hundred thousand specialists of rescue units based in regions, organizations, and enterprises, as well as some fifty thousand units of equipment. So, yeah, Russia is doing all of this and yeah, you know, the US is aggressive, but the US doesn't have doesn't have any of those shelters. They, they just don't have them. They don't have them. So where where is all this going? Uh, yeah, I've said it before. I've said it with the caller. Thank you, caller. Uh, yeah, there really there really isn't much difference between the parties. Uh, again, I could see that the Trump the differences between Trump and Hillary are more dramatic, but still, the people the people in power, uh, what would happen? I really don't, I don't expect Trump to deliver anything if he is elected. And again, if he is elected, will he stay alive if he's real? I don't know. With Trump again, it's either it's either a massive three-dimensional game of chess, either he was always owned or it's one of three things. He was A always owned, B he wasn't owned and they'll try and flip him through a variety of devices and strategies and threats or three. Yeah, ABC 1 2 3. Then uh he just gets a quick acting cancer. It just goes away. And get used to President Pence. But where I think all this is going, they've set this stage that, you know, Russia is aggressive and they're not. Proxy war in Syria. Uh, you've got the issue, again, in the Ukraine, thinking from the Russians' point of view. Unlike the Cold War, the Cold War, once again, the line of demarcation was between East and West Germany. Now it's at Russia's border with Ukraine. So it's far more tense. Tensions are far, far much higher, absolutely much higher. You've, you've heard some of the quotes that I've, I've shown Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff saying, no fly zone, which pe- insane people like psychopaths like McCain want. Tim Kaine says it's a good idea, too. Uh, this would mean war with Russia. Uh, you've had the other, the other, uh, the other general, U.S. Army, talking about you know, outright threats, outright, outright threatening Russia. So it's clear to see who the aggressor is. The aggressor is NATO, the international alliance with the U.S. going along. And uh, I don't have time to play tonight, but look up, look up, you can look up a video on YouTube, Defense Secretary Panetta, Sessions, NATO, 
Defense Secretary Panetta Sessions NATO. And that's that was from back in what was it, two thousand twelve when Leon Panetta, who's then Secretary of Defense, former former uh, director of the CIA, uh, told Jeff Sessions the US military is under the control of NATO or the UN. It's amazing. That, that that's a great statement. Again, I don't have time tonight to play that. So where's all this going to go? Well, I think the powers that be clearly want to provoke war with Russia. They're not rational people, to use a spiritual phrase again. This is demonic. They want to do that. And uh, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, to quote the Bible. But if we ever see, and I hope it never happens, if we ever see a nuclear device detonated in the United States, whether it be a missile or a lower-level dirty bomb, or maybe a 10-kiloton nuke in a suitcase, if that goes off in Chicago or somewhere. If any nuclear weapon is ever detonated inside the United States, uh, I'm immediately not going to blame any foreign nation. And I'm also immediately not going to blame any terrorist organization. I will immediately blame our own government. Because as as the last caller had said in passing, you mentioned 9-11. 9-11 was an inside job. <laughs> Jeff Fuel doesn't burn, doesn't melt steel. Didn't happen. Uh, the U.S. has trans has been transformed into domestic police state after 9-11, and it's there's no way anything as sophisticated as a nuclear attack could occur unless the U.S. either allowed it or controlled it. And it's a horrifying thing, but this is this is the nature of man, and this is the nature of the government, and really that's there. So, if they continue to beat these war drums with Russia, if the U.S. is successful at provoking war with Russia, if that does happen, uh, a lot of things are going to happen in the States. Number one, the police state now, right now we're in kind of like a soft, cuddly version of the police state. They're going to ramp it up very quickly. And anyone, I mean anyone, that opposes the war, they would, they would say the things that I said tonight, they're going to be deemed a traitor. You know, whether that's Poggi Miller or Rocco Pasertia, they're going to be deemed a traitor. If you then say you know, that war that war is immoral, there's no proof or whatever, uh, Russia was an aggressor, aggressor of the U.S., that, that person is going to be deemed a traitor. They're going to come after him. At what level, I don't know. But the police state will get ramped up very quickly and much more viciously and aggressively, if that happens, if there is if there is some type of war with Russia, and think about it. Think about Edward Snowden. I'll end on this point. There's many unanswered questions to me about Snowden. Snowden did work for the CIA before he became an NSA contractor. To me, uh, and you could go to Boiling Frogs if you want to want to search that on a, do a starpage.com or DuckDuckGo search for Boiling Frogs or Sabelle Edmonds. She has a nice news, news organization. She was a true whistleblower. She was working uh, either directly or as a contractor for the FBI. And when she was doing translation, she realized that the U.S. was in communication with uh, Osama bin Laden up until 9-11. <laughs> she wrote a book about that. I think it was on the cover lady. The point is, her organization has raised, and she herself has raised through her writings and videos, she's raised questions about Snowden from day one. How... Did he get out of the country with the security clearance he did? So how, how did he get out of there? So then he's in Hong Kong. 
how did he get out of Hong Kong? How'd that happen when the U.S. was looking for him? Really doesn't make sense. Uh, now, you know, we're about to say it's, uh, it's one man's opinion. Snowden ends up in Russia. I think that was no mistake because they've been planning this war with Russia. And what did Snowden do? Snowden really gave us virtually no new information we didn't know already through people like James Benny and and I think it was James um, James Bamford. We already knew the NSA was recording everything from er- from everyone at all times. And you know more has come out as far as the details how the big telecom companies have cooperated. But we've known we knew that before Snowden. Snowden drew attention to it, which was beneficial. But Snowden ends up in Russia now. If 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 they provoke this war with Russia, anyone then that criticizes the war, anyone that criticizes mass surveillance, anyone that criticizes the government's intrusions upon what, the very little what little is left of our privacy, that person will be deemed an enemy of the state, and they'll have Snowden as their poster boy, Snowden. They'll say expose the CIA, expose the NSA, former CIA employee, expose the NSA, and he's with Russia. So if you criticize the government surveillance of U.S. citizens, which is illegal and immoral, there's no power in the Constitution for that, then you'll become an enemy of state. This is where I think it's going. I hope I am wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But the more people know about this, uh, perhaps the more we can stop it and pressure the people that are in power to uh, to do the right thing, to uh, to back off from this aggression. No one wins in a war with Russia. No one wins. No one will win. I want to thank Pudgy Miller again for opening up his platform to me. You've been listening to Last Friday Nights with Rocco P. on the KIRP radio show. Thank you all for listening. Tonight, have a good weekend. K-I-R-P Radio!